Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, online nutritionist, weight loss coach, and hormone fixer-upper. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of information and inspiration, sharing with you simple and effective strategies from health, wealth, and all things personal growth. Get ready to become the master of your hormones and experience vibrant health to live a life of more power and possibility. Welcome back, everybody, and happy Tuesday. I am so excited to share with you today that you can access our free five-day sugar detox challenge. I'm really excited to have this ready and out into the world because with the holiday season coming up, it is that time of year where we tend to go a little off the rails, we eat more sugar, we drink more wine, and all of our healthy habits tend to go out the door, which is the last thing that I want to happen. So I really want to introduce you to simple, delicious, healthy recipes that's going to help combat your sugar and your carb cravings and really, really, really help to support your hormones. It is crazy how quickly our taste buds and our hormonal health can shift just by getting rid of sugar. In fact, sugar is eight times more addictive than cocaine, which is wild. And it's really the culprit behind many diseases as well as obesity. And this amazing stat that I found is that the average American consumes about 152 pounds of sugar a year, which is roughly 22 teaspoons every single day. And kids consume 34 teaspoons of sugar every day. That's more than two 20-ounce sodas, making nearly one in four teenagers pre-diabetic or diabetic. Now, I work with a lot of hormonal conditions in my practice, both myself and our holistic wellness coach, Valerie. And there are so many women that we are working with across the globe. And sugar is at the root of so many issues from PMS to infertility, PCOS, menopause, diabetes, autoimmunity. It is so, so, so important that we really get control of our sugar cravings and our carb cravings, which is exactly what the sugar detox is here for. So head on over to holisticwellness.ca forward slash sugar detox and dive into the program today. And we are so excited to help support you eat better, feel better, and to ditch those cravings. All right, so let's dive into our episode for today. I'm really excited to welcome Adrienne Nolan-Smith, and there is so much juicy content we dive into today. She shares her journey with chronic Lyme's disease, as well as amenorrhea, not having a period. And she shares her journey of recovery and how she went through this, and how she really had to become her own patient health advocate, which is something that we all need to do. We all need to become our own health advocates and we need to become more knowledgeable and more informed so that when we do go to our doctor's office, we know the right questions to ask and also to be able to challenge our doctors sometimes, right? And so it's such a great podcast today. We're really sharing her story with her recovery and we dive into her working in the conventional healthcare system. She was working in hospitals for about three years and really opened up her eyes to just what the conventional healthcare model can really offer. And we know that when it comes to chronic disease, there's not so much it can offer. Now, from an emergency standpoint, yes, then wonderful. We definitely are so grateful to have allopathic medicine. But when it comes to treating chronic disease, but when it comes to treating chronic disease, there's not so much support that we can get from our healthcare system. And this is ultimately what has led Adrian to create WellBe, which is a media company, a lifestyle brand, and a community-based program that's focused on bridging the large gap between the healthcare system and the wellness movement. Adrian is a board-certified patient advocate, a speaker, and the founder of WellBe. Her mission is to help people prevent and reverse chronic health issues naturally by showing them the 100 choices they make a day are their healthcare and helping them navigate to root cause minded professionals. From her 20 year journey through the conventional healthcare system as a patient, caretaker, and then technology professional working with hospitals, 
Adrian has seen how empowering patients through integrative health and wellness is key to preventing and reversing the chronic disease crisis. Adrian received her BA from John Hopkins University and her MBA from the Kellogg School at Northwestern University. She lives with her husband in New York City, and Welby is her greatest passion and her life's work. I'm really excited to welcome Adrian to the podcast. So let's dive in, and I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. Hi, Adrian. Welcome to the podcast. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I'm really excited to dive in today. And before we do, I'd love it if you can share with our audience more about who you are and what you do. Sure. I'd be happy to. So my name is Adrian Nolan Smith, and I am the founder of something called Wellbe, which is a media company, a lifestyle brand, and soon to be an educational program. And I'm also a board certified patient advocate and a speaker. So that is my little bio. There's a lot more behind <laughs> where that all came from, but we absolutely. Can that later. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely dive into that. So I know that you struggled with your own health issues from chronic Lyme disease to amenorrhea, and I'd really love to dive into this. And if you can really share with our audience, you know, what that journey was like and how you kind of really overcame this. So I think a good place to start maybe is with amenorrhea, and maybe perhaps you can share with our audience what that even is for anybody who might be unaware and what that kind of looked like and how you took the steps towards healing. Yeah, I'm happy to. So when I was a freshman in college, I was 18, I lost my period and it had been coming, you know, very normally, I think about every 28 to 34, 35 days since I was 12, I think, or about to turn 13. It was about six months after I got to college and it was a really big surprise to me, but I was also busy with life and my new, you know, living away from home and whatever. So fun stuff. Yeah, exactly. I was like, (laughs) I'm having too much fun here. I don't have time to deal with this. Totally. So I let a couple months go by. And then finally, I think that summer after school ended, I started to try to figure out what was going on. So because of my Lyme experience, my Lyme experience very briefly was I was sick with chronic Lyme disease and going through different integrative therapies when antibiotics didn't work from age 11 to 13. And so many therapies later, I did actually you know, put my Lyme into remission and continue kind of a normal high school experience, which was really lucky because most Lyme patients are sick for decades and yes. just kind of on with antibiotics and whatever. So, but I really had pretty good health between age, you know, 14 to 18. So I went back to the conventional healthcare system because I assumed that that was, you know, where I would get my answers, even though that's not where I got my answers from my <laughs> experience, but I was still pretty, you know, young and several experiences beating you over the head with the same message for you to really get it. And so this was really only my second major health experience. And I was at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore for college. So I started to see some endocrinologists and gynecologists through their system because, you know, those are some of the best, quote unquote, best doctors in the world, whatever that means. And also because I'm from New York, when I was home in New York for that summer, I was also seeing a lot of, you know, quote unquote, the best doctors in New York and whatever. So because I grew up here, I had friends whose parents were doctors and they were able to help me like cut lines and things like that. So I felt very like I was going to be in great hands. And yet every single doctor that I saw, and I probably saw five or six before I decided to go a different route, all said the exact same thing to me and looked at my blood work the same way, which was that they couldn't find anything wrong with me. Some of them tried to say, oh, well, it's because you've lost weight. And then they look at my weight chart and I didn't lose any weight. If anything, I gained a little weight being away at college. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And also you must be really stressed. And I was like, I'm having the time of my life in college. I am not stressed. (laughs) (laughs) So they tried to come up with a million excuses and there really wasn't anything that made any sense that they offered. And so they just, you know, put me on the birth control pill or tried to. And 
because of my Lyme experience, I'd kind of learned that you need to come into these experiences with doctors with a really good understanding of what you think is going on so that you're not just kind of nodding and accepting whatever they're telling you is going on. Because a lot of times they don't really know and they're guessing. Right. So, I mean, that's pretty wild for you to have that mindset, even at 18, 19 years old. Like, good for you. I know. And trust me, I would not have had that mindset had my mom not kind of shown me how to do it when she was taking care of me and my brother, both suffering from Lyme disease at the same time. So I really saw the role model of her really being an advocate for us and also seeing that the conventional healthcare system didn't really have any answers with my Lyme experience. So they might not have exactly the right answers either for this amenorrhea experience. So I refused to take the birth control pill after it was prescribed to me a few times because I told them that it was actually not a solution. You know, synthetic hormones or the birth control pill in general tricks your body into thinking that it's already pregnant (laughs) so it doesn't get pregnant. But it doesn't actually solve the underlying problem of why you might not be getting your period, which is like a fundamental part of being a human female from, you know, adolescence through menopause. And so it's really a huge cry for help. I figured out from a lot of what I read and from what I understand from your body trying to tell you things are not right here, right? It's an evolutionary design for you to not have a child when things are not going right in your body. Right. And that's, as I also understand it, similar to having a miscarriage perhaps is like, there's something up with this one. It's not going to turn out well. We're just going to go ahead and, you know, start again or try again. Right. So I explained that I wanted an actual solution to the problem of... Like you said this to your doctor? Yes. I said, with all due respect, like the birth control pill is actually not a solution. So it's going to cover up whatever the problem is. And if I'm taking this for a long time, that problem is going to get worse and worse and worse and maybe even cause other problems. And I won't know because the birth control pill has this fake period, right? Good for you for knowing all of this. Oh my God. It's so good. Well, it took a lot of research, you know, yeah. a lot of research before. They, your doctors must've been like, you're crazy. They did. Yep. <laughs> and they were all so busy because, you know, unfortunately the insurance billing system, at least in the US is so restrictive that doctors really can't spend more than five to 10 minutes max with a patient to discuss right. something like this. So right. even they thought I was crazy and they looked, you know, they totally rolled their eyes at me, but they couldn't even argue with me for too much time because they had to move on to the next patients. So they're just kind of like, all right, fine, don't take it. Like, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> right. <laughs> move on. So they didn't really come up with any other solutions. That was completely their approach was sort of like, all right, well, we don't know anything else that might be going on. So if you're not going to take this birth control pill, We don't really have any other solution for you. So, you know, do with that what you want. So I was stumped and trying to figure out what to do next. And so finally, I did try taking the birth control pill, I think for about three months in sort of a silent protest, like, I'm going to show you it's not going to work. A couple of the doctors tried to claim that it would induce my real period to come back. Right. So I couldn't really argue with that exactly without trying. So I said, fine, after some time. This was probably about a year now of not having the period. So I tried it. I tried it for about three months, I think, and then went off of it and waited two cycles to see what would happen and then called the doctor back and said, see, I'm not getting my period. Like I told you. It did not induce a, a real period. And now I'm, you know, got to find somebody else to help me because that was your only solution. So at that time, I don't know why my dad was talking to somebody about this, but it was some friend of his that he mentioned this issue to said, oh, my wife had a similar problem. And she saw this natural sort of holistic nutritionist type in New York. And she's a very unique approach, but why don't you know you give Adrian her her information. So summer between my junior and senior year of college. So it's pretty late at this point. I'm sorry. Yeah. The summer between my sophomore and junior year of college, I went in to see this woman. And of course I judged her, you know, book by its other <laughs> totally. For sure. She had incense going in the office. She had a really long <laughs> ponytail. She had all these like 
herbs all around. And it just seemed like a very different experience from witchery. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It seemed like, you know, the Park Avenue, all white offices with the Ivy League degrees on the wall or Johns Hopkins doctor. Like these were all the people I thought were going to be able to help me. And luckily, again, because of my Lyme experience and going through a lot of these kinds of, you know, on the surface, woo-woo, hippie-looking doctors, I was already kind of aware that what you see on the outside isn't necessarily what you get and that there's like a lot of power and a lot of science, even though it's hard to test in a controlled trial or who's going to test herbs when you really can't patent them, right? So you should really, you know, give people like this a shot. So I did. And she did extensive blood work with me, which I thought was already a really good sign because she wasn't just trying to put me in a bucket of, you know, for sure. This is what I do with all patients who don't get their period. And like, you're just like everybody else, because now I understand the reasons why someone might not get their period are so different in every single human being. And they're multifaceted. So it could be like six different reasons coming together, or maybe even just two or three major ones that create this kind of system breakdown where your body decides, hey, we can't have a period anymore. Things are too out of whack in here. But it's very rarely just one thing. So I sat with her for, I'd say it was an hour going through each line of my blood work, which not a single doctor in my life up till that point had ever done my 21 years especially not in this experience, which you would think they would because they're trying to investigate what's going on and try to find an answer. But no, for sure. She did. And I was really amazed by that. And she started to show me and explain to me how so many different things in my life were kind of coming together to create this issue. One of which was I had studied abroad in China at that point when I was 16. And I'd had like a lot of people that study abroad in China, China gut or, you know, China belly, they call it lots of gut problems. And because of that, had to take some antibiotics. And she explained how many years after taking antibiotics, especially if you take a couple or, you know, kind of powerful ones like Cipro, your gut can be affected by that. And sure enough, it was, you know, when I was 18, so about a year and a half, two years after these antibiotics that I started to have this issue. And then how much your diet, then if you throw a weakened gut into a bad diet situation like college, (laughs) how that can just like tear the house down. So I'd eaten very well. My, my mom, after my brother and I had had Lyme and, you know, had gotten better. I mean, we were the kids who nobody wanted to play at our house because we had zero candy. We couldn't eat wheat at that time. We just called it wheat free, not gluten free, but you know, same idea. Right, right. We didn't eat dairy unless it was goat's milk. And even then very little. We had no sugar. I remember these horrible like carob chip cookies that we would have, <laughs> not even chocolate chip, like just terrible. And they would crumble in your hand. Gluten free products, by the way, have gotten so much better since then. But at the time, yes. you know, they were awful. And we would only shop at the health food store. And it was, you know, alfalfa sprouts on Ezekiel bread <laughs> with duck breast in your lunchbox. I mean, just really in, just terrible stuff. But now I love that stuff. But at the time when I was a kid, it was awful. Oh, for sure. So I had eaten very well in, you know, living at home. And then when I went to college, I was eating in a cafeteria and, you know, drinking and things like that too and whatever. Yep. And it was just couldn't have been worse for you, the food. And my gut, I think was affected from both Lyme back, you know, several years previous, but also the antibiotics from living in China. And then this total collapse of a good diet, even things I thought were decently healthy. Now I look back and they were all genetically modified and processed and full of antibiotics and hormones and all this stuff. And so she also showed me that I had some, you know, mild like parasites and things from also from China that weren't maybe causing me active problems anymore, but I was having some, some gas, some constipation, you know, and a lot of girls think that that's somewhat normal. Right. And they just kind of deal with it. But in fact, it wasn't normal. And these were lingering effects of, you know, picking things up. And so she put me on this very unique program of not eating anything raw that I didn't wash myself 
which was very hard because as a college girl, I thought, you know, I ate salads constantly. I thought if you don't eat salads, you're going to get fat. You know, I was like totally delusional. Yep. And also I well, that's still the mindset of so many people today. So. I know, I know. And it's still, I mean, I still loosely follow this diet because it really, you know, had an impact on me. And people say, what? You don't eat salads in restaurants? Like what do you eat? You know? And, and, and I also don't eat gluten. So it can be very challenging, but I find ways, you know, around it. I always have a thing of nuts in my bag if there's a real emergency and I can't find something to eat. But anyway, so she put me on this very unique diet. The, you know, I had to wash everything with this special, you know, grapefruit seed extract at home, all my produce, and I couldn't eat anything raw out. I only drank filtered water, zero tap water anymore after that, and really tried to cut out sugar and wheat which I was definitely having plenty of when I was at school. And also it was really just sugar and wheat and processed foods, you know, like things like French fries and chips and stuff like that. So I did this and she also prescribed me some supplements because she noticed in my blood work, I had some micronutrient deficiencies Mm -hmm. and also some Chinese herbs that were specifically anti-parasitic, antiviral, antibacterial, things like that, but weren't going to Harm the good bacteria in my gut, only you know the bad. So, I started taking all this stuff, and I was actually going back to China because I studied abroad in college in China. And she was like, "No," but oh no, I was going, and there was nothing she could do about it. So I started working with her probably about a month before I, I moved back to China. And she also did these acupuncture type treatments, but I ended up not really doing any of that because I was in China. So all I did was really stick to the diet pretty well. I definitely broke it for things like dumplings in China. So for sure. But I also took the supplements and herbs religiously when I was there. And she said, if you do this program for six months, you know, your period will come back. And it was like six months and a day later that it did. Amazing. It was really amazing. And it was right around Valentine's Day. And I had my first real serious boyfriend. And all my friends made me this cake with like, you know, it was red icing cute. And he was like, what is going on? Cause we had just started dating like two weeks before. <laughs> um, yes, it was exciting. And it's been normal ever since I've had it probably every 28 to 34 days since then. And that was a long time ago because now I'm 34. So it was a really impactful experience for me because, you know, for so many reasons, but one, it just showed me that not to judge a book by its cover. Right the kind of medicine that should be practiced today is really not built into the the current insurance model, at least in the US. And so same here. it really helped me to understand that if you want quality practitioners and doctors who want to roll up their sleeves and do the hard work with you to figure out what's going on and help you heal, it takes time. Yes. An investigation. And it's largely outside of that insurance model. And I was very fortunate that my family could afford and believed in this kind of medicine. So it was worth doing. And my dad was very supportive because he knew that my Lyme experience had ended well with integrative therapy. So he was like, we need to go back to that. We need to try that. And sure enough, that was really what helped. And so I also learned that diet (laughs) is hugely connected to hormones. (laughs) Yep. Well, diet and your gut, which I really did not quite understand before that. And just understanding through her work, the connection between your gut health and your diets and micronutrient deficiencies and how that can throw hormones so out of whack or rebalance them was really fascinating to me and not explained at all by any of the other endocrinologists or gynecologists that I had seen. Right. That was pretty interesting. Those were kind of my two major takeaways from the experience and also really the power of doing your research and standing up for yourself and advocating for yourself because for sure I'll tell you now that I'm a patient advocate I'm licensed to work with people to actually show them all of the different options that might be available to them to try to help them figure out whatever it is and then give my recommendation on what I think they might try and so I'm sort of bastardizing that license because I think it's really mostly for the conventional healthcare system, but you know, I've got this understanding and experience and knowledge in the convention or the functional and integrative world. So I try to navigate people to those 
that I think can really look at them holistically, which is that world. Yes. But I don't work too much with private clients. But when I have one girl that I was helping figure out an issue, she was a friend of a friend. And so I, you know, had this consult with her, this phone consult. And she basically told me my own story that I just told you Mm. back to me, but chose the birth control path. Right. Chose it for like over a decade and then had so many other health complications as a result of being on birth control that she could not really explain and then had to start taking other drugs for and having other procedures for. And I just saw this, like just this whole string of things that would have happened to me had I gone down that path. I mean, I can't say exactly, but listening to her story. For sure. And it's such a common story. Yeah. It really convinced me that I dodged not just one bullet. I dodged over a decade of bullets and other health issues that I'm not sure how long it's going to take her to really reverse. It's going to take a lot of work for her to do that. So, so yeah, that was kind of my third major takeaway. Amazing. Well, thanks for sharing that story because it's powerful. And so many women listening, I know, need to hear that message about being their own advocate and doing their own research and not really just, you know, not taking no for an answer, right? And not being just written off because in the seven minute visit, there's really not much that our doctors can often do for us. So, no. so thanks for sharing that. And for a strong, like, unwillingness to yes. do more. I mean, it was just kind of this, like, totally apathetic. Like, okay, well, if you don't take the birth control, like, I got to go. Like, just, okay. Right. Yeah. Yep. Which I thought was so interesting. I would feel that, I mean, who knows? I'm not a doctor constrained in the system, but I would imagine that I would feel like I failed if I didn't fix the problem. And not just fix by giving a prescription, but actually fix the underlying problem. And yet that's not really expected of of doctors today, or they don't seem to really feel the need to follow through on that piece of it. It's true. Just kind of give you something right here, right now that maybe will work or whatever. But so it's very sad. And I think a lot of doctors suffer in this system. There's a lot of physician burnout, physician suicide rates are high. And I know that a lot of them don't want to necessarily practice this way. It's just kind of how they it's get true. indoctrinated. So I try to have empathy and compassion for their situation too, instead of just being like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> totally. This is my original reaction. <laughs> so going back to your Lyme diagnosis, so that happened at 11 and that was both you and your brother? Yes. I was diagnosed because he was diagnosed. He was much more sick than I was in the sense that he'd had it longer, right? undiagnosed, and his symptoms were more severe. And so, you know, countless doctors could not figure out what was wrong with him and said to my mom that he had everything from, you know, just learning disabilities to chronic growing pains in his knees to loads of other things. And a lot of cognitive, you know, oh, he's just slow kind of stuff, none of which was true. And it was all related to Lyme. And so when he finally got his diagnosis, I was suffering from a lot of short-term memory issues that had come about, you know, it wasn't, weren't always there as well as just this like debilitating fatigue, which for an 11 year old is really unusual. Like for sure, year old should be running around pretty sprightly. So my mom looked at me and thought, Hmm, I wonder, you know, she doesn't have the joint pains, but I wonder if she has Lyme too. And, and I did when they tested me. Right. And so your sort of journey through healing that, you mentioned that you were doing some integrative approaches. What did that look like? Oh, man. We probably (laughs) don't have enough time to go through all of that, but (laughs) I did a lot because Lyme is really, really hard to... Yes. Very complicated. ...or to put into remission. And many of them weren't working. So we kept doing more and more. And those included... The same sort of diet change, you know, really switching to a wheat-free, dairy-free diet with zero low sugar, if not, you know, zero sugar, a lot of really, you know, nourishing superfood type meals at home. And obviously I wasn't drinking alcohol or caffeine as I was a kid, so we'd have to worry about that. 
taking loads of supplements, going to a Chinese herbalist out in Flushing, which is a very Chinese neighborhood in Queens here in New York City. The teas totally stunk up my house. I don't know if you've ever taken like <laughs> teas. Yeah, they some of them. Just the smell. They're strong. So bad. And so you can imagine I've got like friends over for play dates and my mom's like, you have to come drink your tea. And it, the whole house reeks. And I've got to go like just hold my nose and like get it down. <laughs> so doing that as well as we did some energy healing work. We also did hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So this one was wow. a little bit more extreme. We actually spent three weeks living in Lancaster, Pennsylvania in a Motel 6 for, you know, with just one room, me, my brother, and my mom during my summer vacation from school and going into these hyperbaric oxygen tanks for a couple of hours every day. They kind of look like tanning beds. Yes. You go and sort of lie down in them. And at the time it was very weird. I mean, nobody was doing this. Now they're using HBOT as it's called for many different things, including traumatic brain injury. They're using a lot for like even football players with like CTE and things like that. So Right. There are some different use cases that are more mainstream, <laughs> but at the time it was pretty weird. So we did that. And then the very last summer that I was sick, it got a little bit more extreme. We did something called bovine colostrum therapy, which is still an orphan drug phase and was then. So this was, a you know, just about 20 years ago yeah. and it was not quite legal. Actually, orphan drug phase means that the FDA here in the U.S., believes that there's potential for benefit because of some preliminary research, but basically wants a drug company to run clinical trials to actually show and be able to prove its effectiveness and then come up with some drug related to it that they can market and right. there. Right. Kind of a weird thing because drug companies, you know, they're not incentivized to make anything that they can't really patent. Right. And so with these more natural therapies that exist in nature, it's really hard to get a drug company to invest the money to run the clinical trials to then bring it to market. And so it almost seems unscientific or like it doesn't work, but really it's just because nobody's actually put it to the test yet because there isn't the financial reward at the end for them to do so. For sure. And so we're not really sure how effective it was, but it was me and my brother, my mom, again, in a Motel 6 in <laughs> Mankato, Minnesota, the tiniest town on earth, going to this dairy farm where this farmer was like illegally helping us with this treatment. And there was nothing to do. And it was the dead of summer in, it was so hot. And I mean, I just have the craziest memories of, you know, my blood being taken in the car with my mom doing it, who had no idea what she was doing because you have to inject oh, wow. your blood into the cow so that it's a long story, but it has to do with antibody creation. And, and then you drink the colostrum, which is like the first couple of days of mother's milk, Yep, both for humans and cows. Bovine means cow. Cow, yep. You know, the, my blood is like spurting on the window of the car and the oh, man. Are, are trying to eat it because there's like a crack in the window. And it was just like, I thought this was it. Like I told my mom after this, I'd rather just stick with Lyme and be tired and have a bad memory than, you know, do one more of Go these all of it. multi-week trips where I've got nothing to do and I'm just doing these weird treatments. And luckily it didn't come to that. I think within a year of doing that, I was feeling a lot better and my Lyme went into remission and hasn't you know, been an issue for me since. Again, I don't think that I had as serious a case of Lyme as a lot of other people. So a lot of other people will relapse just because it's very hard to keep the, to get all the Lyme, you know, killed. For sure. They tend to hide and come or they go dormant, they come back and all the stuff. So. Yeah. And it can be really hard to, it can take years before you realize you have limes. Like, I feel like you, you kind of caught it pretty early. Yes. I mean, it wasn't early enough to treat it with antibiotics. Right. I never saw a bullseye, you know, neither did my brother. 
So I think it has to be in your system, you know, at least six months to a year, maybe for antibiotics to just actually, I think it's just over six months for the antibiotics to not quite be effective in the way that they could be if you, you know, saw a bullseye right away and, and started doing something with antibiotics then. So you're right. I caught it very early in the scheme of chronic Lyme, but yes. not early enough in the scheme of, you know, acute Lyme. And I really don't think if my brother hadn't been positive for Lyme that I would have been tested right. at all because my symptoms, I didn't have the joint pain, which is one of the major ones. So at that time, Lyme was still so misunderstood and so hard to diagnose and the testing was still so bad. It's still so bad. It's 50% accurate. Yes. But at that time it was, you know, even worse. So they would not have thought that fatigue and memory problems were that. They would have chalked it up to just you know, nothing. They wouldn't have had really any explanations or maybe ADHD or some sort of like concentration issue or something like that. Right. So yeah, I was very lucky and it's something I remind myself of often. That's quite the journey. So I'd love to dive into the healthcare system because I know that you are working in conventional healthcare and I'd love to know what that was like. Yeah. So I worked, so it's a long story that we don't have time to get into, but also, <laughs> my mom ended up passing away when I was 25 by suicide. And it was a very traumatic experience for me. And she had been in the conventional healthcare system in different mental hospitals for three and a half years before she died. And because my parents had divorced, I was sort of acting as a caretaker together with my uncle, her brother. And the experience happened exactly when I was applying to business school. So my applications were due in about two weeks and it was a few days before Christmas when she died. And so it kind of was this really pivotal moment in my life where I had been working at IBM in marketing and not really sure if I was really interested in it or you know, didn't really think it was my calling and wanted to have meaningful work. I just didn't know what it was. So I thought okay, well, maybe I can figure that out at business school. And I had gathered my recommendations. I'd studied for, you know, the GMAT, I'd whatever, all these components and was just a few weeks away and thought, okay, I can't do a single application. Like I'm not going to be able to apply. I just have to give up on this dream because I'm like totally flatlined by this, you know, trauma. And my friends were pretty amazing and helped me to see that, no, you are like inches away. You just have to, you know, write a couple essays. And so I ended up writing my essays about what I had gone through. For sure. How messed up the healthcare system in America really is and, you know, was at the time and still is. And why I wanted to go to business school to work to change it. And I said, this is my lifelong mission. I'll be doing this till I'm 90. And I still stand by that. And I didn't know how exactly I was going to impact, you know, create the change that I wanted to change, create the change that I wanted to see rather, but that I was going to, you know, use my time at business school to do so. So I ended up getting into Northwestern and went to Chicago for two years. And the whole time I was there, I really couldn't get anybody to talk to me about integrative medicine, holistic medicine, functional medicine. There was no Instagram really at that time. So it was just a very different experience where it was still very stigmatized and very woo-woo and weird and off the beaten path and, oh, that's not science and all of that. And so I was shoved into an area called digital health when I was there or health tech and essentially, it's it's a lot of startups that are using technology to improve or fix inefficiencies within the healthcare system, which sounds great. And a lot of them do great work. But again, it's, it's like patching up holes, an oil rig that's on fire, you know, on fire. It's like, okay, yes, you're solving an inefficiency in this process, but the process is so messed up to begin with about right. how we treat chronic illness in this country. And I'm definitely not talking about emergencies. You better believe that if I get run over by a car, I want, you know, the full force of the conventional healthcare system. But I'm just talking about the majority of our healthcare issues, which is all right, you know, 80% or even more maybe related to chronic illness. So I just couldn't really understand, you know, 
why these health tech companies weren't seeing this, but there were really none that were talking about what I was talking about. You know, from what I saw, people were either practitioners helping people one-on-one or like they didn't know anything about it or care at all. So I felt stuck because when you're in business school, you're meant to start a business related to this. And I wasn't in, you know, a medical school and it was kind of late to change course and go, you know, become a practitioner of some kind. So I was sort of stumped. So I ended up taking a job with one of these health tech companies back in New York. I came home after school and I worked with hospitals for three years. So I was in a hospital probably every week for three years. And the irony is I was working on chronic disease management programs and trying to help them figure out how to, you know, prevent patients from coming back to the hospital over and over and over for the same chronic health issues or chronic diseases. And the irony was that I knew exactly what it would take to keep them from coming back, but yes. none of that was possible within the system. You know, they would send home heart failure patients with discharge packets. And because I worked in patient engagement after post-discharge, I could see these packets. And so I saw that they would go, you know, home for heart failure with barely a word about in a large, you know, 20 page discharge packet about their diet. It would say something like, you know, follow a low salt diet. And that was, that was pretty much it. And then the rest was all like, fill your meds and fill your meds and get a follow-up appointment and fill your meds. You know, and even that a low salt diet, you know, people that are not very familiar with nutrition have no idea what they think. Oh, I didn't put salt on my food. So I'm not following a low salt diet. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, every single processed food, every single thing that is in a package has some salt. Yeah. Has some added salt. And also every single thing that's served in a restaurant has some added salt. Right. So this was just, I think, completely lost in translation. And also there's a lot more to heart disease and heart failure than just sodium and salt. Totally. Also, it talked nothing about the differences between salt quality and how things like Himalayan pink salt or, you know, like iodized sea salt can have amazing minerals that you need in certain ways. So I just got, you know, very frustrated and I ended up quitting and founding Weldy a little while later, I'd, I'd say about three years later, but it was a very frustrating couple of years. I will say, of course, because I think everything happened for a reason that I learned so much from that. For sure. I had an idea of what I thought was wrong with the system when I was a patient and when I was a caretaker, but working within it and being part of the industry really helped me to see exactly how things are wrong. And it's pretty much what I thought, but now I just have so much more knowledge about how it's all designed. And that's really why I also ended up sitting for the board exam to become a patient advocate when I saw that come up as an option, because I had so much knowledge from the healthcare system related to navigation and billing and, you know, all the different processes that happen within it and why they happen. And I just thought, okay, well, I'll just dump all of this knowledge into the certificate, even if I'm not really going to be, you know, using it in that way. And so, you know, it was tough when I was doing it to see all that I wanted to change and not being able to do it. But it was also very informative. And I feel like, you know, everything happens for a reason. So I'm glad I did it. For sure. And it's really what led you ultimately to create Wellbe, which I'd love for you to tell us more about. Yeah. So it was totally silly at the time because I had come from the health tech world, as you know. So it made sense for me to start something like an application, like a health app of some kind, you know. And I decided I was going to start a media company. And my husband was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I said, because I know so many people with means and education who are still making terrible decisions about their health every single day. If I created another app, you know, focused on functional integrative medicine, wellness, I'd be serving the people that already, you know, were informed about this not the majority of people who would make different choices if they knew really what was going on with their food, with their air, with their water, with the kinds of healthcare providers they're seeing, but they don't. And so they're continuing to kind of 
live out of ignorance and create chronic disease by everything they're doing every single day and by the kinds of treatments that they allow to happen to them with different drugs and surgeries and stuff like that. So right. I thought I've got to start with content because I need to spread awareness and education as obviously you're doing too. Right. Before I can start talking to people about the actionable steps of now making these changes or helping them further. And so you know, I thought, okay, I'll be a media company. And as I got going, you know, which means monetizing your content with brand partnerships and things like that. For sure. And as I got going and brands started to reach out to me, I felt so uncomfortable about the idea that I was actually going to be working on behalf of them instead of working on behalf of my audience. And there were so many people reaching out to me for help once I started putting a lot of my content out there. And they wanted help with, you know, getting to different integrative and functional medicine doctors and practitioners and figuring out all these very confusing things with which products were safe and, you know, how to make a lot of the wellness changes and really implement them into their lives because some of them are very challenging to stick with, especially if you, you know, eat out and travel and have kids and all this stuff. And so... I was so busy making content that I didn't have time to help people with these. <laughs> right. I thought, well, this is like pretty silly. So I kind of went back to some of the big wealthy fans who had, you know, always shown me over the years how excited they were about everything that I was putting out there. And I filmed a lot of stories of health recovery through integrative medicine that are pretty inspiring. So that's some of my favorite work. Awesome. But I also featured a lot of experts who kind of sit between this healthcare and wellness world, as well as I covered a lot of research that sat between healthcare and wellness. So that was really what I was trying to do is help people, or I'm still trying to do is help people to implement wellness and then navigate healthcare. Because I think when healthcare and wellness finally come together is when we'll actually be able to reverse the chronic disease epidemic and, you know, not have so many chronic health issues come up for which should be otherwise healthy people yep. who feel like they're doing a decently good job of being healthy and still have, you know, amenorrhea and constipation and psoriasis and, you know, all these th- Hashimoto's and joint pain and indigestion and heartburn. And, you know, these things shouldn't be happening to the average person. People with massive genetic defects, you know, okay, maybe they are predestined to have a harder time just living their lives. But for most of us, our genes don't actually impact that much. It's more so our lifestyle. It's about 90 to 95% of what happens to us is all based on our lifestyle, not our genes. Yeah, absolutely. I realized that I needed to actually help these people. So I'm now launching a program in January of this year called the Wellbe Spark Health Program, where I'm helping people. And because a lot of my audience are new moms and moms who are busy and, or just, you know, young working professionals who feel like they have absolutely no time to cook massive meals and do a lot of meal prep and all this stuff to walk through an hour a week live webinar where I have vetted. It has been so much work, but I'm pretty excited to show people (laughs) everything that we've done to, you know, all these pre-vetted things in every possible category. There's eight modules. So it's, you know, an hour a week for eight weeks starting in January to just actually throw out and replace a lot, basically everything toxic in your home and in your everyday habits to create by the end of the eight, eight weeks a life that, you know, quote unquote, sparks health. And it kind of comes from the idea of the Marie Kondo, you know, only keep things in your life that really spark joy and get rid of the rest. Right. So I know that what goes on outside of the home is really not in our control. And we're not going to stop living our lives as modern humans out there for sure, traveling and enjoying, you know, restaurants and things like that. But I do know that we have all the information we need right now to make sure at least your home is optimized for health and sparks health. So that is the idea of the program, but it's also coupled with, you know, two months of this well-be concierge team that I've put together of different kinds of health researchers, health coaches, and also patient advocates to help navigate people with any kind of, you know, whether it's a small, like, I just want to figure out if my bronzer that I love is clean enough. <laughs> the more serious, <laughs> yeah. like I just got a diagnosis of Hashimoto's. Can you gather all the research about 
you know, what I can be doing naturally to reverse it. Or, you know, maybe even the way more serious, like I have, you know, Crohn's and I, you know, need to see a gut health specialist and I live in Dallas and I, I don't know how to figure out who to go to and right. who takes my insurance and all that. So it's really helping people not only make the changes in their own homes and lives, but also find and partner with the right kinds of practitioners and doctors like yourself who are really going to be able to roll up their sleeves with them the way that I had found with my amenorrhea experience to get to the root cause of health issues and really try to enable the body to heal itself, which at the end of the day is the only way that you can really have real healing is to get the body to a place where it can heal itself and utilize the incredible power of the immune system. So that is what I'm working on now. And that's, you know, Weldy will continue to create lots of content. We also have a podcast and our weekly newsletter and our site, but now we'll also have this program component. So amazing. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. That sounds really exciting. And it's definitely something we need. We always need more information about health and wellness and finding a community where we can get the support is is so great. So I'm really excited for you. Yeah, exactly. The community piece of it is is really is really huge and being able to, you know, go through the program and and also, you know, the challenges and have accountability buddies and things like yes with this group. But I also, you know, there's so much information that I felt like it was, I could do my part to help people just like synthesize that information. Like, yeah, it's very time consuming to do a lot of this vetting and research. So if I can make that faster so that you actually make for sure, that's fine with me. Like as long as you make the changes, you um, you don't have to (laughs) be a research junkie. Like I am, you can just take that and, you know, use it in your life. So yeah. That's amazing. So where can our audience go to learn more about it? So get wellby at dot com is the website. And you can also follow me on Instagram at getwellby or any other social channel. But yeah, our website is the best place to learn about it. And you can see right there on the homepage, it says our program and you can learn more about it there. Amazing. Well, I encourage our audience to go check it out and we will put all those links in our show notes. And thanks, Adrian, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you again. Awesome. We'll chat soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Okay, everybody, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Adrian Nolan Smith. You can follow her on Instagram at getwellby or visit her website, getwellby.com. You can also head to our website, holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 82. That's the number eight and two for today's show notes. And lastly, don't forget to join us in our free five-day sugar detox challenge. You can head on over to holisticwellness.ca forward slash sugar detox to join us in our delicious challenge today to combat your sugar and your carb cravings. I'll see you guys next week and have an amazing week. Chat soon.